Morena. Oh, I'm nice and loud, aren't I? I'll hold it down there. Let's see if the button works. Hey, hey, there I am. Love Thy Neighbourhood. That's the series, and very much I'm building on what Hamish was talking about uh, last week, particularly when he talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan and the fact that this is a story about sort of cross-cultural love to a certain extent. The Samaritans were part Jewish, but because they had interbred with the Assyrians, uh, the Jews were kind of a little offended that they hadn't kept God's law to remain a distinct people group that they weren't supposed to interbreed. Not that, of course, uh, they had much uh, say in the matter. The Assyrians had invaded uh, the Samaritan area. But nonetheless, this was a kind of cross-cultural moment. And my neighborhood, in terms of the things I do to care for my neighbors, oop, where are we going? Oh, there we go. Ah, that's me. Uh, that's what I do for a good chunk of my day for the last couple of years. Uh, so I am a chaplain and the coordinator of the provision of welfare services to international crews down at the port. Uh, which is a bizarre kind of job. Uh, on the upside, Emily, you can feel very safe. Uh, I'm fully vaccinated. Uh, it's okay. Uh, I have heard, by the way, that uh, now I have to introduce myself when I go traveling as being from Tamaki McCovid. Uh, that's a little weird. So this is what I spend my day doing in full PPE. Uh, so I normally uh, have mask and uh, the gloves on as well. Uh, during the lockdown this time, kind of last year, the work that we normally did with ships was put on hold. We couldn't go to the ships and the guys couldn't get off the ships. Normally, when ships visit the port, they have uh, a chance to come and, and visit our centre and the CBD, because, of course, the port uh, is at the CBD. But instead, these men, mostly men, 99% men, uh, locked on board their ships, not even able to walk down the gangway and stand on the concrete port below. Imagine being locked in an area about the size of this floor for 11 months uh, and the living area that you are able to participate in no bigger than this room for 11 months and the only people you get to see are your 19 crewmates and nearly all the time those are just other men. So what do we do uh, when we go ship visiting? Well, in normal times, uh, I would go on board the ships, and uh, there are a couple of acts of kind of service that I would do. Whenever I would find a guitar, I would always get out my little app that has a tuner on it and tune their guitar. You'd be surprised I never found a tuned guitar. Uh, as you can see, that particular guitar I found uh, on one ship only had the one string. So that was a quick job uh, that particular day. Uh, middle story, uh, this is Marius, he's the captain of Sea Smile, he's from uh, Romania, and uh, I went on board his ship, and he came up to me uh, as the chaplain sitting in the mess with the other men, he says, oh, chaplain, I wonder if I could have a personal word with you. I'm like, oh, good, this is where I'm going to really put my chaplaincy superhero uniform on and give him some advice and, and help him. He goes, I wonder if you could help me buy a cowhide rug for wife. I'm like, okay. So uh, this is what I do. I, I rang up the shop on the North Shore. I said, there's a shop on the North Shore. Uh, this is back in the days where he could have shore leave. Do you want to come to the center and we'll drive to the North Shore? So we battled the Auckland traffic and there he is with his cowhide rug for his wife. Uh, very happy, $500 later, expensive cowhide rugs. Uh, and then because we were sort of, it was, you know, rush hour time, I said to him, look, Let's not battle our way back to the port. Why don't we go for some food and a beer? And he said, yep, what a great idea. My shout. I said, oh, that's good, even better. So we went to this uh, place in Marangi Bay, and we were having ribs, and we are having a beer together, and I looked over, 
And he, like I've heard people do this metaphorically, but I've never seen someone physically pinch their cheek. But he did, he pinched his cheek. He wanted to make sure that he wasn't dreaming, that he was getting to spend time at a restaurant with another human uh, in the middle of his life as a seafarer. When we got back to the port, he hugged me like I was a long-lost relative and was fascinating. Part of the ministry of chaplaincy is it's often called a ministry of presence, and that's going to be an interesting idea today, that service without agenda is what chaplaincy is. You know, the pastor has an agenda to help the person grow in their faith. The evangelist has an agenda to help someone come to faith, but the chaplain has no agenda intentionally. Let's the other person set the agenda. It's a ministry of presence, of being available, of being there. Well, anyway, I didn't go out of my way to crowbar Jesus into the conversation. But as we were coming back to the port, he turns to me and says, you know, I believe in man upstairs. <laughs> and he was wanting to make this connection with me. I thought that was fascinating. I thought it was my job to connect faith to him. He was trying to connect faith to me. And so he gave me this big hug and kissed me on the cheek and uh, and we parted. It was a, a wonderful, wonderful time. And as you can see, we have a bit of fun with the crews. That's me standing inside the mess, uh, pretending that some of the crew uh, have a drive-through service on their, on their ship. Uh, they don't. I do enjoy going on board the ships because a lot of the ships come in regularly. So once they see me coming, uh, they start preparing food for me, which is kind of nice. Uh, although I, I wonder... Uh, whether or not they are helping me with my weight because I remember being on one ship and the Fijian chef goes, you know, oh, oh you, can I get you something? And I said, like, just a small thing. And out comes this huge plate of food. I'm like, I wonder what a big thing would have looked like. At the end of lockdown, the government realized that they had to honor part of what's called the Maritime Labor Convention. And so they agreed to fund the chaplaincy service. And so we got to go back visiting ships if they ordered. So this is what I do now for the most part. In fact, even this morning, I went to the warehouse and warehouse stationery to buy uh, a, a SIM card and a USB port uh, device for uh, guys on a ship that I'm visiting tomorrow. Uh, one ship, though, rung me and said, can you get me, uh, as the crew, eight Bluetooth speakers? So I'm like, okay, this seems like a bizarre thing to ask for. So I took the Bluetooth speakers, as it happened. Uh, the warehouse in Henderson had eight units of the one they'd ordered, so it was perfect. So I turned up, and quite surprisingly, a dance party broke out in the mess. The guy on the right is the captain, who normally does not go to the mess because he has his own mess with the officers. Here they are with their Bluetooth. Majority of crew are Filipino. There are one and a half million men at sea, and about half a million of them are Filipinos. Oh, for the record, even the pastor's got, uh, the chaplain's got moves. <laughs> there we go. Let's, let's not do that. Uh, so, this is an interesting part of loving the neighborhood. In this case, another example of, of loving without agenda, learning to love without agenda. Because oftentimes when we think about things like love your neighborhood, what we're really thinking is, I get it, this is bait to catch non-Christians. This is part of our evangelistic strategy. We're going to go and serve the neighborhood and then people are going to start coming to church. And it would be nice if they did. And, and maybe it will play a part. We'll talk about that today. But it's not really good bait, to be honest, serving. Uh, I know that because 
This is my friend Jack Stewart. Jack and his wife Becky, they lead an amazing church that up until recently for 20 years was a Chinese church and now has opened up to the wider community of Christchurch. As a young man, Jack uh, served in Hong Kong with YWAM. And he used to help this elderly man every day do certain you know, tasks he needed help with. And he would write him a note that said, you know, it was great to be with you. Jesus loves you. Right? That's what he would write to this man every day after he served him. And then one day the man wanted to show his gratitude. So he sent Jack a letter and it said, Dear Jesus, thank you for all the help you've been giving me recently. The problem is, is that service by itself won't be enough to see people come to faith because faith, we know the Bible says, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We have to actually share the message in the end. So firstly, I want to suggest today that when you and I love our neighborhood, we're practicing a very ancient idea called halakha. Can you say halakha? Halakha. It's a good one. It sounds like you're clearing your throat, right? Uh, this is a Hebrew word that is part of kind of our Hebrew roots of our faith, where in Jewish community, the idea of halakha is the way, the way that we walk. And the idea is simply this, that beliefs by themselves are of very little use to us, but beliefs and actions need to be kept together. Or to quote Billy Graham, you really only believe the bits of the Bible that you practice, the problem in our modern church world is that often beliefs and actions have been pulled apart. So you and I will be tempted to have you know, doctrinal arguments with each other and think that the goal of the Christian experience is to compile the perfect set of doctrines. And doctrines are good. Doctrines are healthy. But as soon as doctrines get separated from behavior, our faith becomes a set of ideas instead of halakha, the way we walk. And when you and I are loving our neighborhood, we're practicing halakha. We're practicing letting our faith and our actions reside together. So that's really good for us as believers, that when we are serving and when we are loving others, we are acting out our faith. And so it's good for us. In fact, it's so good for us that research shows that those who serve others have better mental health outcomes than those who receive the help. That's how tipped on its head the kingdom of God is. See, in the Greek worldview, serving was the opposite of happiness. So we want to make sure we're practicing this other way, the way of Jesus, where it's better to give than to receive, and it turns out the research backs this up, that those who give and those who serve are actually happier people. And it is ultimately part of our evangelistic presence in the world if we think of evangelism as three phases reflected in this verse, one of the very famous phrases that Jesus taught us, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's that way again, that Jesus is the halakha, that he is the one who was the servant, remember? He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give myself as my life as a ransom for others. The Jesus who we follow is a servant by nature. At the end of John, he says that the ones that he finds watching and waiting for him when he returns, he will put on robes of service and serve. Isn't that an amazing thought? That Jesus says, actually, he will serve us one day if we're found being part of this, watching, waiting, serving, doing. Halaha. 
You see, when we do the way together, it's good for us. But it's also good for others because it's a chance for them to experience the power of the way. In fact, get this, some of the secular research says that when acts of service occur, the likelihood of service occurring in that environment doubles or triples. Or to put it this way, when I go on board a ship and serve these guys, it's twice as likely that they'll start serving each other. Something that I will never get to see, but the world starts to change. So we might say in the first instance, the way of loving our neighborhood is actually more an act of the prophetic. We are signaling, demonstrating, modeling to the world, this is the way God wants things to be. This is the way things should be. Serving each other, loving each other, prioritizing each other, seeing the other is more important than ourselves. And in the world of evangelism, this is an important part to play, right? It's a great place to start for people. Because I don't know if you've noticed, people aren't so interested in our truth right about now. You notice that on Facebook? You know, you post a meme about Jesus, people do not start flocking to church. But they might start arguing with you. But the way is much harder to argue with. Nobody ever says to Christians, stop serving, stop caring, stop loving. The way is the early engagement the community around us has with the people of God. And I hope that it leads to the truth. I know that as a a church leader, we were having a camp one time and uh, a man who was just becoming part of our community who didn't know Jesus came to me on the first day of the camp and said, this is the most amazing thing. This is surely what heaven is supposed to be like. I am amazed by what I am seeing. You see, he was encountering the way. As he encountered the way, it opened up an opportunity for the truth. And ultimately, when people accept the truth, they get to experience the life that Jesus offers them, the way, the truth, and the life. But the way is beautiful, isn't it? Because it benefits us, the giver, and the receiver as well. And could it really change a community? Could it really actually work? Well, two years ago, I was the fundraising manager for an organization called Tefaka Oratangata. Tefaka Oratangata is the people of the restoration. It was a name, get this, given to a Christian mission by the local Morai. The elders of the Morai said, you are transforming the lives of our people. You are Tefaka Oratangata. It's odd because the family that started this ministry are Indian South Africans. Cliffy, that's Cliffy Hugging, and his wife Indrani, and their son Sean and daughter Jenny came out to New Zealand in the 90s. They couldn't find work, so they decided that they would buy a cafe in Clendon, of all places. I often joke to Cliffy that it's obvious that TripAdvisor did not exist back when they were working out which part of Auckland to live in. They started out in the deep south and they bought one of those classic cafes. You've seen those? And they were running this cafe and they noticed that young mums were just struggling with the basics, struggling with getting children to sleep through the night, struggling with feeding regimes. And so Andrani decided that she would start mentoring one of these young ladies. And then beyond that, they thought, well, what else could we do to help these couples? And so they developed something they called the Family Restoration Course, which was five simple sessions. It's very clever. 
uh, five basic ideas. The fourth week, they talk about the love languages. You're familiar with those, right? And then they say this as the greatest hook ever for the gospel. They say, if these love languages are broken in your relationship, come back next week and we'll tell you about a love language that never fails. And then on the fifth week, they present the gospel. When I started there, the organization had been going for about 10 years. And they said, well, Aaron, you'll have to go through the family restoration course. He said, but it'll be fun because on the fifth week, everybody gets saved. I'm like, that's not true. I've been a Christian a long time. There's no room in which everybody gets saved. There was this group of 50 people, and I tell you what, they were a tough crowd for me to be part of. I mean, this is a group of uh, 90% Maori and Pacific families, people with home detention bracelets on their ankles, people who've had their kids taken from them by Oranga Tamariki, you know, the gang patched members. I mean, when they introduced me on the first day, they said, hey guys, we want you to meet our new team member, Aaron. He's not a cop. I said, I'm too fat to be a cop. <laughs> And I'm sitting there freaking out, thinking this is a scary room to be part of. And then they present the gospel on the fifth week. And at the end, they say, so who wants to experience the love that never fails and give your life to Jesus? And I kid you not, without a word of a lie, the room just stood as one. And people began to weep as they received Jesus. Some of the most incredible stories of transformation. And, and it comes from halakha. Because Tangata now has grown from just being the work of a family to being the work of a team who spend two years mentoring these couples and their families. And they hang out with them for two years. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine, Dan and Shannon uh, know Rob, because uh, Rob lives in West Auckland. He's from, from Ranui. Let me tell you Rob's story give you an idea of the kind of people that Cliffy and Andrani hang out with. Rob was uh, the victim of serious abuse as a child. Uh, actually, his abuse came at the hands of his Pākehā adopted mum. Uh, she would uh, beat him so badly uh, that uh, at one time as a punishment, she locked him in a cupboard for three weeks. Uh, Rob, at age sort of eight or nine, decided he would tell the police, that's what you should do, shouldn't you, if you're a kid? Tell the police. The police came and said this to the parents. Next time you hit Rob, don't hit him around the head. Rob used to get in fights with kids on the playground based on this simple logic. There's nobody here who can hit me as hard as my mum. When Rob ended up in jail, he decided he'd quite like to join the mongrel mob. So he says to the gang leader, what have I got to do to join this gang? And the gang leader says, we're going to stab that man. And so by the end of lunchtime, he'd stabbed him. Gang leader said, whoa, I was just kidding. Rob wasn't. Rob became the enforcer of the gang. He used to go onto the patch of rival gangs and pick fights. He told me he was doing it as an act of suicide. You see, he didn't want to kill himself because he thought that would bring shame to his family, but if he died in battle, that would have some honor to it. Rob reckoned he'd done 87 government-funded courses by the time he went to Te Whakaurotangata. So he went through the course, and after the final week, they have these one-on-ones where you spend a few hours talking about your story, and then they pray with you. Well, they went to Rob's house, Cliffy and Andrani, to pray with him, and, and while they were praying with him, he started coughing and spluttering and thought, oh, I'm obviously getting a cold or something, and he excused himself, and he went to the bathroom. And he realized, I think it's the prayer that's causing me to cough. So he said, maybe you guys should finish praying for me. <laughs> Today, 
the office that they do the one-on-ones in has a green bucket in the corner. So frequently, people will throw up during the prayers. Rob coughed up a cup of blood into the bucket, and a 30-year drug addiction was gone in a moment. Rob was so transformed that the uh, gang didn't know what to do with him, so they made him the chaplain of the mongrel mob. And now Rob is one of the most excited, transformed, on-fire Christians you are ever likely to meet. Uh, and he has a local lawnmowing business. We uh, had him be our lawnmower guy for a while. I did have to say to my daughter, the new lawnmower man's coming around uh, this morning. When he knocks on the door, you're going to pack yourself. Uh, but he is lovely. And Rob and Shirlene, his wife, who he uh, married after 30 years of being together, experience the power of the way. You see, Charlie, the gang leader, dropped Rob off and said, you go to those people, they will help you. And he's been doing that with his gang members for the last 10 years. Why? Because they've experienced halacha, the way. They've experienced love. Love without agenda. Love for its own sake. They've touched the kingdom and wanted to know more. So as we think about loving our neighborhood today, let's remember that it'll be good for us. It's better to give than to receive. It'll be so good for us, it'll improve our mental and emotional well-being. It'll be so good for our faith to see that we don't just believe stuff, we live out those beliefs. Those beliefs in our life are joined together. Halacha. And we'll realize that by living out the way, Others have seen the way, and some, not all, will ask to know the truth. And some, not all, will get to experience the life. So there's no downside to loving your neighborhood. It's good for us, it's good for our world, it's good for eternity. So we're going to move into a time of prayer right now, where we're going to ask God to put that more deeply in our heart, this halacha, this commitment to live the way, and maybe to find a way to start loving our neighborhood.